and welcome to Project Footballer, the podcast that people are saying is the number one podcast for academy football. Today we are doing a panel episode um, and we have some amazing guests with us in the room. Um, Darius Charles, ex-footballer, current senior house parent for Man City with the under 18s and 21s. We have Danny Edwards, literally the top technical coach in the world. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far. But um, yeah, I've been working with literally like some of the top pros in the world recently in Miami and everywhere. Some of the players that you've been working with recently. Uh, Jesse Lingard, Chumeni, Kunde. Raheem yeah, Sterling. A few. Um, Rob Ursel, who, if you've been watching the podcast, um, you've known Rob, um, ex-footballer, ex-England futsal player. Controversial <laughs> person, <laughs> always arguing with everyone. Um, and Portia Freno, um, just come back from Australia after playing in the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> All right, not, not playing in the World Cup. But um, no, uh, Portia works with um, We Met Footballers, works with Project Footballer. Um, I think her son is one of the top under eights in London. Um, yeah, a very, very talented player. And I think um, Portia has managed Ethan's journey very, very well. So I think it's going to be excellent to add to the panel. So um, the way this is going to work is we've got a number of subjects um, just in random order. Um, we'll take out the subject, have a discussion, and hopefully, yeah, help parents. Create some magic. Create some magic, mm. that's it. <laughs> cool. Okay, first one. This one. Homeschooling. <laughs> Homeschooling with football. Um, I think this is becoming more and more common. Um, and we're seeing where parents are Maybe some parents are like pushing their kids to become footballers. Um, they're deliberately homeschooling their kids to make them into footballers, potentially. Um, yeah. How, how is it? So, so Ethan's homeschool. Yeah. Did you, did you homeschool him so he could be a footballer? No. I mean, everyone has different reasons to homeschool. Mine, I had so many. Before I even, he was like born and you had homeschool. Um, I think school's a bit dated, like the system can be a bit dated. I think they start too young. Um, so I always wanted him to start from at least eight, nine before he even went in or considered school. Autonomy, they can learn autonomy and to think for themselves rather than to be followers, like so many reasons. And yeah, like with the football, it gives you more time to focus on other endeavors. I don't think I could do the football with the school runs, if I'm honest. I don't know how people do it. Mm. People think homeschooling is so much harder, but in many ways, I think it's easier, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Um. Didn't try to push him into football. It was all him who wanted to do it. Started quite late, I would say. I don't know if you agree. He was like five and a half. He, was he in like six? He five. was all, He was going to be six in April and his first session at Chelsea was January, wasn't it? Well, the last session in December, yeah. he started properly in January and then yeah. a few months later, he was six. So I don't know, some people are starting at like three, four. No, he was, at like We Met Footballers, he was one of the ones that was quite late into the yeah. program. Um, Cause there was like some, I remember that under six tournament that we had, yeah. um, the 3v3 under six tournament. 
he um he was in a team well there was loads of players that have been with us since they've been like four years old yeah that um, was the first proper thing you'd done really yeah and yeah. then he, was, he decided from there i think he saw aiden and he was like i want to be a footballer really he decided from then i was like fine if that's your decision yeah i'll support you yeah and he's been committed ever since but mm. he before that it was never like this burning desire you know or it wasn't obvious from the beginning mm. um so homeschooling was always going to happen we actually thought he was going to be an architect because that's what he was saying he wanted to be okay um yeah so uh, are you guys seeing any players that you know being homeschooled are you seeing it's becoming more common um i've heard of one or two others yeah i've met a few at the academies i think it depends on the situation at home um work how flexible the parent parents are with work um yeah, the environment as well everyone, yeah um i think there's pros and cons for it but if you're able to financially the environment family support then yeah it is a no-brainer um in my eyes but majority of players parents that i know yeah it's just not it's not possible and it is a struggle the student life to a young academy player's life traveling parent support yeah support's a massive one so you have to like connect with other homeschool communities or yeah you're going to struggle definitely you have to have family that are willing to help but i think even on your own it's it's possible it's just hard you have to be really organized with your time basically but yeah the the football runs are probably more challenging than homeschooling i would say the matches mm. do you think he's had an advantage because he gets more hours to practice than other kids um i want to say he practices a lot of the day but he really doesn't um i want him to do other stuff so he doesn't homeschool and so he can stay at home and play football all day he used to constantly have a ball at his feet in the house he'd be driving me mad like smashing things up but now i have to like remind him have you trained today not because he doesn't love it but he's obsessed with reading he's obsessed with lego there's i've made sure there's other things that he loves doing he loves building he loves drawing um so it would be an advantage if he practiced at home but every day. But I swear there has been times that like, like I've rung you and we've spoken. When he was younger, when he, like, yeah, he was doing it. But I would do drills with him. Like before work, we'd go to the park or the garden. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely. There's a player that I see who's an under 15 at a London club and he's homeschooled and has been homeschooled his whole life. Yeah. And I'll see him sort of three times a week. And it's not all, some will be sort of injury prevention, yoga, stretching, some will be essence, strength and conditioning. Yeah. Um, we do very little sort of technical work, but it's during the day and yeah. he can move his timetable, his mum moves his timetable around so that when he's got a recovery day from the club that he's at, the academy team, we'll do injury prevention, stretching, recovering. So there's pros to it where his timetable can work around his football programme um, and He's, yeah, been offered an early scholarship and he's been homeschooled all of his life. So he's in the England under 16s yeah. program. So it's, it's, but that's, there's, that's only one example. So You're definitely more flexible. Yeah. Cause you don't have to be at school. We don't have to, 
explain to school why you're not coming in. Yeah. So yeah, that helps. His his schedule is flexible and it's basically based on mine as well, my work rather than school. Because if becoming a footballer is a lot or becoming, you know, elite at anything you do, you know, they've got that 10 pounds an hour rule. So if some kids are able to just get more practice hours yeah. than other kids, then that would be an advantage. Like I know a kid who's homeschooled and they practice, they've got this like routine that happens like every morning and it's like 45 minutes that the kid will always do. But, but it's like happening at sort of like around nine o'clock, maybe, maybe earlier. Um, but if you were like dragged off to school, you wouldn't get the opportunity. And that is that like part of this kid's routine. Yeah, I just... Well, another advantage I would say is I I see a lot of kids that are stressed at school okay. and then they're rushing from school. They've maybe had to have a snack in the car. Yeah. They've fallen asleep just as they're pulling up to the arena. And they've just had a whole day of like their brain being overstimulated. And then they've got to try and focus, which I know is good practice to then be able to switch on and focus. But Ethan has the advantage often of if he's knackered, he can have a nap during the day. Mm. He's been able to relax. He's been able to stretch. He's been able to practice if he, if he wants to. Mm. And he's... He's in a good mood. He's ready. He's, do you know what I mean? It's, mm. it's not that rush, rush like that. But 95% of the parents and players that I know can't experience sort of the homeschooling yeah. from the, yeah. So it's very, it's not realistic to the academy environment, academy players that I work with, but it would be great to kind of gauge the results and what works, what doesn't work. But in reality, how um accessible and how easy is it to actually have your child homeschooled you literally have to have a, a job that you can do from home or that's really flexible or not have to work i think so just hearing this conversation i think for me it's, it's interesting because obviously we've all been taught to to kind of like rely on routine so generally speaking the message is you go to school you get a job you work nine to five you make ends meet so it's like, because we were taught that way of things, we just believe like that is how it should be, right? So we're saying, obviously, it's not accessible for majority of parents. And you're probably right, it's, well, we say it's not accessible. We don't actually know how accessible it is. So we say, Portia, I don't know, obviously your background and whatnot, but I presume at some point in time, it wasn't a case of accessibility, more of a decision to go, I wanna homeschool my child. And then you start working backwards, right? Like anything. Yeah. You find ways to make it happen. You're right. Because if we're not taught that nine to five and like you find other ways to make money, I want him to be an entrepreneur. I want him to think for himself. I want him to be a leader. And I think homeschooling is one of the ways to encourage that from early rather than just taking in what you're fed and then just spitting it out to pass the test. Mm. Like I don't even always give him a whole, like I often don't give him a schedule. I'm not like, right, we're doing this between these times and then this between these times. If I'm not going to be available for a time because of meetings or something, I'll say I'm not going to be around between these hours. So what's your plan? Mm -hmm. But him knowing how to manage his time, how to be productive, how to make sure what he's doing is helping him towards his goals. Like we discuss it all the time. What, what are you going to do? Okay. And how, what, what's the point of that? What's mm -hmm. the plan? I think that's priceless because he knows the results of that. If he doesn't do something well or he doesn't manage his time properly, he, it's not, he's not going to be productive. And, and what about sleep as well? Um, sleep, I'm really strict with. With the football, getting home later, it affected it a bit. So his, his bedtime got later and later. But then 
is he able to then get up a little bit later? He's just, you know what? I think he's gone through a growth spurt and now he's sleeping in later. Like what sort of time? Sometimes he won't wake up until eight. Whereas before, no matter what time he went to bed, it would be seven, no matter what time. And I'd be like, you're going to be knackered. You went to bed really mm. late, just go back to sleep. But his body clock was like, no, seven. But now I had to wake him up yesterday for Chelsea. I, had to, I left it till like quarter past eight. But in, like, in Matthew Walker's book, uh, Why We Sleep, he's considered like the sleep doctor he says that the school system is set up from like the industrial age and like we the children they need to be like laying in because all their brain development happens and you know they're forced to have to like get up super early um like beyond what should be happening for their circadian rhythm and their body clock and brain development and then that's yeah that's like some old system that we've got that's in place. Um, whereas again, we look at advantages for kids who potentially can become like top athletes. And if you were, and I'm, and I'm like, you know, I'm glad that you challenged it, Danny, because yeah, I'm not advocating that it's realistic for everyone to homeschool their kids. But I thought it was a good discussion because I am seeing it more and more with like top elite players that there's a pattern where they're being homeschooled and then you're looking into it and then they've got like all these different advantages. Um, like you say, whether it's sleep, whether it's extra practice, whether it's um, being in like, a good mental state by the time they're going to training. Um, and like the, you know, the standard of top, top players in the world, it's becoming higher and higher. So, and more competitive amongst parents. So I wonder if this will start to be a like, more common trend. I speak to so many parents who were like, oh, I wish I could homeschool, I really wish. And I'm thinking in my head, you could. You just you just have to make that step. And then like you said, work backwards, work around it. But yeah, loads of parents say they wish they could do it. And then some are like, I don't know how you do it. I do agree with it. However, and I'm an only child, so it would have been really easy for my <laughs> mum to sort of homeschool me. The the negatives or the, that sort of, I I look for the, worse than everything or the areas of improvement and it's just how if you've got two kids three kids you're a single parent or your job how many people have the flexibility to work from home um the cost of living and it's just and even me homeschooling during covid i was so glad when they went back mm -hmm. to school so, but, but that's different people say that to me they were like oh you know we had our kids at home during covid it was so difficult i don't know how you do it but that's all i've known it was harder for them because they weren't used to it and they were given work from school that they had to complete. Whereas we, we control what we're learning and what we're doing. We do project-based stuff. So I'm not having to be like, oh, what are we doing today? We, what? I don't even know what this, like, it was, it's easy already. Mm. Like it's different when you weren't doing it before and then suddenly they're just like there. <laughs> I think on the flip side though, if there are some parents that are, are a bit mad, which there are some mad parents out there and they're literally saying, right, I'm going to homeschool my kids so they can be a footballer. I mean, I don't know if that has happened yet, but that will potentially. after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like that, that could be nuts because, you know, if the, pair, if the player maybe doesn't necessarily love football and hasn't like picked up talent and it doesn't have that. I but think then, that's then, nuts anyway, homeschooling oh. or not. I know parents that are like, I want them to be a footballer and you can see their kid does not give a damn about football. And it's, it's hard to watch whether it's football or anything. Like you can't force these things on your children. 
they're going to resent you. They're going to, they don't love it. So it's not going to love, like it just, it doesn't make sense to me. I think to, to those points, it's like, first of all, how many people are taught emotional intelligence? My second point is what did, how beneficial do we actually believe school has been for most people? Like, honestly, like if I asked you to recite certain things you remember, remember from school that have made you money, because essentially we live in a capitalist society and because of the living crisis, like we would need to earn money, right? How many things that you learned from school have actually benefited Listen, you? if you're talking about what's better for the child, obviously homeschooling is going to be better if everything else is equal. The problem is but then that's, for some parents, they're just not able to But that's environment it. dependent because it's like... Porsche might, uh, obviously, example. She might be a terrible parent, so it might be like actually. <laughs> some people are you. better off in school. Some people are better off in school. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm, what I'm saying is that I think what we have to realize is that you, you can't continue to to live by the the marching drum of status quo because as COVID showed, well, you don't actually need to go and work in office spaces. You can work from home remotely. Like we can still get the same amount of things done while working from home as we could, if not more so then going into a building. Now, obviously, um, human connection and so on and so forth is super important. I'm not disputing that. All I'm saying is, is that you have to, the key, the key to success is identifying your strengths and then like doubling down on that. I agree with that. So yeah. true. But it's like school is like- Yeah, school can't do full that. Full disclaimer, like I'm doing a leadership course right now, right? And I was fortunate enough to be a professional football player. So I've done what most people have, have wanted, to, most boys and now girls. Um, wanted to do in their lifetime and because of a leadership course i'm doing i have to go back and do functional maths and english so now i'm learning all again about volume area perimeter all these things that i've never ever used in my life and that i'm quite sure unless i try and become an engineer or a rocket scientist or whatever anytime soon which is never going to happen is going to be useless to me because if i need to know how much paint i need from a wall i'm going to ask the guy in in b and q because that's his job I'm I'm so glad you said that about doubling down because that's a big thing that I wanted for this podcast where if we could really explain the realities of what it takes to become a footballer and who becomes footballers, then you almost can help parents understand like not to pursue professional football because you just said like you might have your talents and double down on them um, to help your child be as successful as they can and you know everyone's got different definitions of success but i think being able to survive in modern society yeah you do do need to be like financially successful like it's part of success um and and yeah there's a lot i mean it's a topic in there like coaching if there's there's not a huge amount of money if you don't make it as a footballer so if you gamble on going all in trying to do it and you don't become a footballer it can be it can be hard out there so we spoke about this didn't we like at what point do you decide to tell your kid this is not going to work what time do you give up essentially you don't want to be negative but you have to be realistic you have to just know if that's their path or not but do you have just devoting hours to it yeah but do you have to commit to i'm doing this just because i want to be a professional footballer when you're a child, you do it because Finesse. you love playing football. But we assume that like the time you make it is here and now. And football has shown us that that's not the case. Like you'll have lads that will go from non-league to championship Premier League in their 20s. Do you know what I mean, that have never gone through academies or have been released consistently from, uh, from academies. Eze right now, who's playing for Palace and obviously got called up for the England team not too long ago. Like he got released like three or four different times. 
you know what I mean? His journey was different. And the one thing I, I always express to parents is, is that there's no blueprint for this. There is absolutely, if there's one thing that there is no, that leaves no clues, it's football because there is no, you go into an academy from young, you make it or you, you know, you get released, you make it or you turn up late, you make it. There is essentially, it's literally a case of, okay, doubling down on what you're good at and then being prepared for an opportunity that presents itself. But you have to place yourself in the right areas, right environments to make sure that you can meet those opportunities. So again, obviously we'll speak about it later, but if your child has a particular skill set and you're trying to make him become that, then you're missing out on all the opportunities that could be for your child because you're concerned more about him being that or her being that thing, as opposed to identifying their abilities and going, if we double down on this thing, if we make them incredible in that, then the person that's looking for that will identify that and then they, we can create success for them because their ability and the opportunity meet. So it's just, yeah. But it's, it's, and that's why I just I always go back to the parents because essentially they are managing their child's future and everything that the child sees their parent doing will be what they do when they become older. Educating become. parents is the most important thing here. And I think what the parent parents don't understand sometimes is you're a parent you're not their coach you're not their manager you're not their agent and it's from being theo my son's going to be 12 he's in the under 12s from being with him grassroots to academy to seeing some of the older academy scholars that i work with their parents yeah are full-on and it's you always get the similar sort of dad is really Loud's really aggressive. Mum is the one that you go to when you need an arm round, a little cuddle. But it's kind of, yeah, be the parent. Let the coaches coach. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Doing the And don't get me wrong, I do one-on-one -on -one sessions myself. Yeah. But seeing a one-on-one -on -one coach four times a week, three times a week, and you're training three times a week, you have a game. Yeah, yeah a child needs to be a child. Um, a young player needs to be a young player. Just to challenge what you were saying there about, like, do you need to, in fact, just say what you said again about professional football. Why, why does it have to be, so for someone to commit, let's say three, four days a week to playing football. Yeah. Why does it have to be the goal that they have to be a professional footballer? Like, it doesn't always have to be that. Yeah, I don't, like. You what? try telling parents but, that though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, what are you I, doing? Yeah. I agree with that. Like, what is everyone doing? What, what? What are the parents paying you to be a one-on-one -on -one coach for? What are the parents paying? If you're going to professional goal. academies. Yeah. I do think you're giving the, uh, you're generalizing a little bit with the parents. There are a lot of parents that I've worked with. I'm sure there are that you're, you've worked with that they do one-to-one -one sessions because their kid enjoys it and they want their kid to improve and enjoy football. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, I do agree. There are plenty that are doing it because they're, tu they're tunnel vision. My kid has to be a footballer. I don't. I don't feel that like Ethan has to be a footballer, but he definitely feels like that. Has to I, be or will be? No, will be, sorry. Yeah. He he believes he will be. He's told me how it's going to happen. He's always been like that, though. Like, he sees, he he knows what he wants, and he'll even explain how it's going to happen, like the pathway. So I just told him I'll support that. That's all. But I'll also encourage his other talents, the other things I think he's great at. And I remind him that the things that he's learning in football are transferable skills. Like I remind him about other opportunities and things he he could be doing. I don't, I don't have tunnel vision, but I also, there has to be a balance because I also believe in like 
that tunnel vision in a way yeah. to I, get there step by I step. I think so. To, to just to add to it, and then, you know, we haven't talked to a huge amount of Ethan. I mean, you touched on it a bit when we said that, you know, he came into that 3v3 tournament um, in his team. He was probably like the third worst player at that time, the third least effective, but the player who had the most potential maybe. Um, so I remember like scouting him, like he, he didn't touch the ball that well. His movement was excellent. That was probably like the main thing. But he has just shot up with his ability, like, you know, gone crazy how how quickly he's improved and overtaken. He's very coachable. As well. Very coachable. But I think one of his great strengths, I think, is also like his mentality. Um, I mean, you posted up that picture where he was reading the Relentless book. Hmm. Yeah. And like, yeah, part he's of like, like, yeah, but like he just seems like, Ethan has just got this like amazing mentality of like, you know, he really believes in himself. He, he, he um, yeah, he believes that he can be a footballer. He's kind of got this vision. Do you think you've aided that? Have you, yeah, have you given him like a positive mentality to believe in himself that he can achieve that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is him. It's kind of in him, if I'm honest. He's always been determined. And, but I've always encouraged him to, yeah, be confident, believe in yourself. He's had like a, I believe in like healthy attachment for healthy detachment. So I think he's independent because I've never pushed him away. Like I'll sleep in your own bed from young and like people have opposing opinions on that. But I'm very much like, make sure you cry if you need me. Let's talk about your emotions, whatever. And then it kind of, I've seen it's made him feel independent and confident in himself because he knows, I guess, subconsciously someone's got me if that makes sense like he's he hasn't had to be a you know they say like oh man up man up don't cry I'm like but he's not a man he's a child so I've kind of encouraged and nurtured like the baby in him whilst bringing out the mature part of him if that makes sense like, it's hard to explain but I'm always I'm always about balance he's always been precocious he's always been really mature anyway um but yeah I'm always I make him do affirmations make him look in the mirror and say like affirmations to himself. Um, he likes to hold in sometimes when he's um, not feeling great. So I encourage him to speak about it. He doesn't like to fail in front, in front of people. Like I tell him that's okay. Second place is never good enough. And I used to try to make him be like, oh no, it's okay to lose. But my friend was like, no, 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 no. Let him keep that, that mentality of like, it's not okay to lose. Like don't drum that out of him. Like that's okay. As long as it's not making him, you know, lash out or, you know, have tantrums on the pitch, that's okay. He gets in the car and he'll be like, oh, second place, man. Mm. Second place. Mm. I said, yeah, but second place against under nines or you did under eights. Like you did so well. Like your individual individual performance was brilliant. Mum, second place. So, so like wow. the alternative to that. Um, let's say that your kid has some talent at, let's say, under eights, under sevens, and they're starting to go to a few academies. Are you proposing that you just don't talk about becoming a professional footballer? You have to run away from the possibility of it, but you, you don't have to put all your eggs in, in one basket just because you're devoting four nights a week at, at under nine to it. Of course. And I think at the same time, how many of these parents were professional football players? So if they... so. If you weren't a professional football player, not saying because I was a professional football player, I, well, there's a certain level of experience I have that obviously lends to the nature of knowing what one kind of looks like. But I think the key thing in everything you said there, Portia, was about 
he wants to be. It's not, I have to be. It's not like a pressure he's put on himself to say like, I have to, I have to, which, which breeds anxiety and nervousness. It's like, I will be. It's a confidence bordering arrogance, you know what I mean? And when I was growing up, like I was going to be a football player. It wasn't like a, it, there was no question. I was just going to be a football player. That, and, and that was it. Yeah, and, but you're talking about from the child's point of view. I'm talking about more from the parents' point of view when they're trying to, they're getting too attached to the idea of yeah. this. But, but the, the thing, I, this, and this is what I say, okay, is that first of all, if you, everything is context. So talking about him winning or, or coming second or whatever, okay, I understand you wanted to win. The context is you played against older boys who are extremely good and development, so on and so forth. You're not telling me he's wrong. You're just saying contextually, like maybe if you see the bigger picture, it, you might be, under, be able to understand it better. As a parent, it's like, if I said to you, if I said to you um, tell me what becoming a professional football player looks like, like honestly, and because I, I don't think many parents have ever been asked this question, you tell me what it takes to be a professional football player or what you have to do to become a professional football player. Most parents, I reckon, wouldn't be able to answer that question. And I understand they're invested because they're the one doing all the driving, they're the one spending the money, they're the one making sure that their child eats before get into training and comes back and get into bed and get their homework done. I understand all those things. But if you don't know what it takes to be a professional football player, if you haven't asked yourself that question, then what is it you're, you're projecting onto your child to do exactly? Like, I'm not, I'm not sure. So for me, it's all about educating parents. Like Dan said, it's, it's always all about educating parents. And it's the demand as well, because the parents will um, provide a level of service as their manager, their agent, their cook, their driver, they're doing all of this. But then there's going to be issues along the way. There's going to be obstacles when the player gets injured or when the club, there's another trialist in your position or someone's performing better than you or you're playing a year down or you're not offered a scholarship early. There's, and the parents are fine at going along this pathway where they've got to drive, cook, clean, be the mentor. But yeah. then when there's an obstacle and it's stressful. Yeah, they then panic and it's, it's a new situation. And that's the problem where, because you've been on this journey where you're relaxed and you're like, this is what we got to do. The moment there's something that, uh oh, I wasn't expecting this, then it turns into you're stressed. And I do that like, and I've, I've been in academy football 20 plus years and I'm a parent, I'm working with professional players. And I feel like I tick most of the boxes. But even in my position, when there's something that I don't agree with, like I'm like, oh, but I don't have that relationship with Theo where we talk about football or he wants to be a footballer. He's still a young kid, but there are parents where I get stressed myself. But if Theo was having that conversation with me, I know I wouldn't like my response to him because I'd be panicking. I'd be like, oh, we got to do, but I don't know what the next step is. And I've been fortunate enough to be in professional football. However, these parents doing the Monday to Sunday routine is fine. But the moment there's going to be obstacles, if you're, what you're saying, if you're throwing all your eggs into one basket, there's going to be so many negative feelings that you're going to have throughout your career. Yeah. The parents should be there just to, just be there to support. Don't be there to panic or pressure um, or to be pushy. I don't know, but yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, have you heard of uh, Sonny Pike? No. Sonny Pike, he was like, when we were growing up, probably around our age, he was like the next big thing. He so we did the podcast with him. Being like proper, like 
on him, right? Was that yeah, 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 yeah. Ajax wanted to sign him for like a million or something, yeah. something stupid anyway. But we did the podcast with him. He was telling the exact story where he hasn't spoken to his dad since he was 15. Mm. He's he's ignored football for like 20 years. He's now got back into coaching kids and he's loving it, but he's fallen out of love with football. He's fallen out of his dad completely. The relationship completely broke down because of that exact situation. His dad pushed him into something that but I think, I think, like, I mean, did have a certain amount of success for a period of time with him. Like, his boy was good at football. Is that the success football. you want? No, 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 no. That's crazy. No, no. obviously, he was, he sounded like a nutter, that guy. Like, absolutely. Um, and just so extreme and, and went too far with it all. But, um, I mean, look at, like, the stories of, like, Pele's dad, Beckham's dad, Neymar's dad. There's, there's so many examples of parents of footballers that maybe the dad's, were semi-pro, didn't quite make it, but then they've then said to their kids, They're all like right, forcing hit. them to do what they didn't do, though. Uh, like they're well, making up but, for but what those they missed out worked. They might work, but at what expense? Neymar's like living a good life. But what you have to remember is this, is like those stories come out of like extreme depravity. Beckham aside, not so much, but they also have an incredible talent. And I think it's like, it's one thing to, because we could say it was the pressure that the parents put on them but clearly they had talent like that was off the scale. You don't just become like Neymar. Like we could do- well, that's, There's not, no, don't know that. Well, statistic, well the, the statistics would show that it, that's the truth. Do you know what I mean? Because a lot of the people who come from Brazil, who yeah. play professionally, that have had great careers, they come from extreme depravity. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm saying, so that's but, like- But, that's but in terms of like your point there to say that Neymar had this innate talent, that's not necessarily like fact. Well, it is. I think I agree. Yeah, I think it is because he's not going to get S and C coaching. He's not going to get one on one coaching. The the facilities available, the coaching, the so, let's go. I see the smirk. No, no, I'm with you. <laughs> sure, Sean about, will yeah, come back to facilities. Sean will come back to there was something in his yeah. environment, but yeah. I well, don't well yeah, but we don't know like how many practice hours and how influential those practice hours were from Neymar's dad. Because they on that documentary, they talk about Neymar's dad having a plan for him to be a footballer. And so, like, we don't know, like, what sort of training was going on in all the sort of environment, all the You're practice hours. that plan was great because Neymar turned out great. Yeah. What about the 4.2 million that didn't? No, 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 no. It's fair. That's yeah. fair point. That's fair point. And, yeah, you're, you're explaining, like, if every parent thought, oh, yeah, if I just, like, put this plan together and, and then, yeah, they their kid doesn't yeah. have talent and then doesn't work out. And then they've just like created this whole like pressure environment and then relationship can get broken between parent and child. And yeah, the risks are high. You see with the huddle video cam with the footage when you're watching all the games, yeah. I would love a camera just to be on the sideline filming the parents and just the parents to watch that back one game or just the audio. Like I, yeah, spending the box. last 11 weeks in that. America. <laughs> I've had it with the Americans and- Americans, oh yeah. It's, it's the amount of times I've heard parents be like, oh, I drove him all the way down here for him to play like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, and it's, it's said in jest, but they're not joking. We talked about this on the one with Lescott, the, Lescott, the podcast. Um, everyone thinks they're an expert at football. Pretty much everyone thinks they're an expert at football. And how do you, you can't really, you can't really go and tell a parent, uh, yeah, what you're saying is, um, I don't. When he first started and he was just doing this little grassroots, I would shout stuff out, 
but it was more like, cause I knew him. I'd be like, go for it. Be confident. Like, doesn't matter if they're bigger, go on, go. And then one time he gave me a look, like he shot me this look, like shut up. <laughs> and I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to shut up. Like we'll have the conversations in the car afterwards. That's it. Done. I don't, I'm not a coach. If he needs encouragement, but, it happens before he plays and we talk about it after. Yeah. And sometimes with grassroots, it's different. Like everyone's shouting out, you're getting into it. But Academy, never. I, I don't even watch Harley anymore. When we were making the introductions, you know, I was talking about like your profiles in the game for, for both you two. Um, I actually forgot that you've both got kids in Academy football. Mm. So like your son is in the under 12s now? Or... He, no, he's not in football no more. Oh, okay. He released last season. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But no, but, but the, the thing about that with my child is like, obviously we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, like yeah. Malachi got into football through We Make Footballers, right? Yeah. And I was always the quietest parent. The, the parents were great, but just generally speaking, his whole academy career, like I was the quietest parent because I'm like, I don't go. Do you know what yeah, I, mean? I don't yeah. come to your school and shout outside the window when you're not. So because you're playing football, like it makes no difference to me. Dan said, your support. I'd always say I'm chauffeur and cheerleader. That's it. Yeah. And you say that like the parents... At QPR, we went on a, a tournament to Lithuania. Yeah. And it's the loudest I've ever been because I just wanted to, we was there for the experience, but they've known me for the last four years, headphones on, hoodie up. Yeah. With my little dad's chair in the corner. Just what, and that's, I know how it comes. They probably think, ah, oh, Dan thinks he coaches these players. He knows all of this. He's just, yeah. Whereas for me, it's just, yeah, let them play like little things. And I said this on, the first podcast I've done with you guys maybe a year and a half ago that when players look at their parents as the game's going on. Oh, like, honestly, listen, yeah, no, that's I'm horrible. so sorry honestly, for the kid. Just let them play. And it's, it's all the parents saying, and I understand where you were saying about encouragement is good. For me, I want nothing because they can't expect that and then not the other side. Or no, I didn't say encouragement is good. I said, I don't see anything wrong with that. Right? Oh, no, yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. What I have a problem with is like, especially the conflicting information that they'll give for, from what a coach is giving. Uh, but even worse, like the criticism for a mistake, it's like you can't go through any training session or any game, whatever level you're at, without making a mistake. You cannot. But deep it, like, and people might have an issue with this, but essentially that is child abuse. For me, yeah, it's child I agree, abuse. I agree. If, as a big man, if I'm on the side of the pitch, shouting at Mike, and, come on, you've got to do better. That's not good enough. Yeah, Pass yeah. it to certain... But that's child abuse. I agree. And it doesn't abuse, stop it's there. Okay because we're because the context is it's football. Mm. That's child abuse. Mm. But it doesn't yeah. stop after that ninety minutes. Exactly. Like, it's yeah, not yeah. like oh, yeah, when yeah. you're in the car, that journey home, and then it's the whole site. And it, I understand it's we're in a different position because we've been in football and we're educated. But the psycholo yeah, the psychological aspect, and it's just they don't take into consideration the parents, the child. Majority of the time, knows when they've done a mistake. Like that, as a coach. You want the mistakes because that's when they're going to learn the mm. most. And it's sort of playing out from the back. You're going to lose the ball more tight, but it's mm. about what do you take from it. But as parents. Well, what yeah. happens is they end up doing it for their parents and no longer for themselves anymore. And that's mm. not healthy either. And, and usually the criticism or the, the, the anger from the parents, it's yeah. just the emotional reaction. It's destructive. Exactly. Yeah. One of the subjects that's in there is uh, video cams. Um, but I think this is like a good point to like jump in and talk on this topic of VO cams because you're talking there about how parents will, yeah, scrutinize their children. And often in football, it's talked about like the dreaded car journey home. 
Um, and that's where like the child is like, oh God, I'm going to get grilled here. <coughs> now potentially with VO cams, with that influence, and just so for, if parents are not aware of what that is, it's like a camera that records games and then you can watch the games back. Um, so potentially that starts then going into like your Sunday or Saturday afternoon. It's like, right, we're going to have the car journey home, grilling. Then we're going to now get the game back up yeah. on your TV and like, let's discuss every like moment. Yeah, That there though, the flip side to that, Theo you can educate the parents is, through that. Yeah, and the the players. So Theo for the last three years has been below average, in my opinion. Okay. At QPR. Right. This year, since it's been on huddle, and we've got me a parent trying to tell their child what they've done wrong. It's in one ear out the other. You can't tell them anything. However, with huddle and watching the games back. He likes to watch it and clip it and see what he's done. And then it's just a case of he enjoys that. And it's he's improved so much. And the feedback that we've got from the coaches is and it's he's a visual learner. And that's what parents might not understand in terms of their learning style. Yeah. Him seeing the game and what he's done well, what he's needs to improve on. That has worked so well. Really? But Theo, the yeah. flip side of that with our coach education is when you can hear the audio. So we would oh, hear the audio man. back um, during it up after every game. It's different with Huddle, huddle I think. Don't have, yeah, yeah, the audio is not. But with there. VeoCam, you will hear the parents. You'll hear certain things that you should, but it's great because the parents need to take accountability for <laughs> how they're acting. Um, so in terms of from a parent point of view, it's great for there's pros and cons for both. Does that get dodgy? Do parents slag off kids that are playing in the pitch? And can you hear that? Does that happen? You have been at enough games to know. Only <laughs> <laughs> if they foul your kids. Yeah. No, you hear. Yeah, you hear conversations. Yeah, yeah. They're the new. They're the next Pep. You've got yeah. Pep and Arsenal and Sir Alex yeah, on the touchline, yeah. and their coaches telling them to do the complete opposite. So, so for you, I mean, you're Raheem Sterling's coach. Like, if you're sitting down with Theo. And then you're talking through his game. I mean, how much influence are you having? How much do you leave to him to clip his own clips and that kind of thing? Yeah, or... at Theo's age, it's all down to him. All right. He'll clip it and then he, we do like a little Dragon's Den presentation, right? Really? Present to me three good bits and three areas of improvement. That's and we always brilliant. start with the areas of improvement. So we end on the positive. Um, but we always turn it into a little game because I don't want him to think, it's homework. It's boring. So yeah. it will always be. And then, he, and I'll, so why did you do this? Or what? I, I will never tell him anything. It's always like a cue. And so what could have you done better? And it works well. But then from the professional side of things, this summer working, I had to pitch for the Chumene and Kunde working with them during the summer. I had to kind of pitch for it and say what I could bring to the table. Yeah. So I got all their video clips from the season and most of the clips they're, they're very good at what they do. Right. So it was looking at the very small areas of improvement of um, their footwork or their body positioning or their first touch opening out. And it's so small, but from La Liga, and it, there was bits from the World Cup final that I was, I'm trying to tell these players, this is what no you need to way. work on. So it goes from that level <laughs> to me working with Theo, where it just has to be a game. And there's some parents that will send me clips and be like, what does my son need to do better here or what? And it's, I've got a good relationship with them parents where I'll just send them a voice note and be like, try and change it where, and I don't want it to be a case of where parents think, 
I know everything and I'm telling them what to do. But I just know from my experience what worked from me playing, from the pro players to now Theo, if you can make it more of a game and make it as entertaining as possible for the kids and they're learning at the same time rather than going home. Don't get me wrong, when Theo's playing and he has a bad game, he's pushing my buttons inside <laughs> and I'm like, I'm listening to my music, but yeah, my blood's boiling. Right. But I can't let him see that. So when we go home, yeah, just he, and it's easier for us to kind of have that relationship where I'm still his dad, we can talk, whereas... If he spoke to me during the game as it's going on, yeah. yeah, I'm flinging my chair on the pitch. I'm running, yeah. But like at clubs, how much are coaches creating video analysis and then sharing it with parent and child? I know it probably isn't happening for Ethan at under eights. That's that wouldn't be happening. But like, what, yeah, I, I, in your experiences, you know, when does this start happening? When do they start getting given clips? Like, what's hap what's happening at QPR? It's I'm, and this goes from the, the, the level of detail that I went into with Jules Conde and Aurelian Chumeni with their agent. Yeah. They've never had that much detail because it's just so generic. Like it's so, there's only, the players watch the games back and they will obviously just watch their bit, but it doesn't go into that much detail. The analysis have so many players, so many teams. They've, it's a full-time role. They've got to do training. They've got to do game. There's, it's it's very generic. So okay. they'll clip little bits, yeah. but that's it. It's then down for the players. to, And it, it depends on the player and the parent's mentality. What do you want to do with that information? Do you want to keep that each week so that you know, right, is this a repetitive air of improvement that I keep doing wrong, but I need to improve on? But mm. they provide it at clubs, but it's just down to, there's only so many times you can see. Some, I mean, I'm not sure what it's like. Well, I just think it's, um, I don't think they really use it until about, Maybe under 11s, under 12s. Are you talking about Fulham or Man City? Uh, Fulham. I think when, when Malachi was at Fulham, maybe it was like under 11s, they started to like use Huddle more and get them to like start to look at it and use their own clips and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I think to, to Dan's point, and this is why I, I knew Malachi would never be a football player. And I would joke about him, joke about it with him and his parents. And sometimes I'd do a little clip on Instagram and people would just be like, oh, you're so mean. And it's like, no, I just know he won't be a footballer because he doesn't have the will to like really want to be a footballer. But it's like, we would do his huddle clips and it was like, oh. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? So it's like instantaneously, I know like he's not even interested in, he's just like, he's played a game, he's done now. Like the game's gone. He just wants to go and have fun. Like, so we, so Fulham would be like, Oh, you know, we want them to, you know, look at their clips and so on and so forth. And I'm like, yeah, but my son doesn't want to. So are they right? Is he wrong? Is he right? And they're wrong? What? No, he's just not. He has no interest to do it. So I think with regards to huddles and clips, like Dan said, you know, you have visual learners, you have kinesthetic learners, you have people that are better when they're reading, people that are better audio learners. It's like finding how they like to learn, <clears throat> excuse me, and then delving deeper into that. So having huddle is great because it's another component that you can use to learn. But essentially like if your kid or as a player, you're not necessarily interested in it, then it has no use for you. So it just, it, it uh, for me, the younger you can have it, the better. Uh, an issue with it is that how qualified are you to go through? Well, that is That's literally going to be my point. Exactly. So I was going to put it to Portia. Watching, he loves so, watching videos of himself. But, mm. but imagine, okay, so, the difference like imagine you were given a load of clips and i think chelsea do i i don't know because i don't know really know what happens to the under nines upwards of this um 
but I think they wouldn't just dump clips on you. But imagine they did. Like, imagine you were just given generic clips and then, what? yeah, what would be your process? What would you do? Um, we'd go through it. So you would go through it with him? Yeah, I'd let him say what he thinks he did well, what he what we do in the car anyway, what he did right. well, what he thinks he'd like to have done better. But then I'd probably send it to like you or one like someone else and be like, what, what are your thoughts? Can you advise me on this? But there's some things that I do know. I can see like, look, you were in the wrong spaces or, you know, you should have. But generally, I'm not going to get too into it because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I think I don't want to advise him wrong. No, no, that's, I, I think that's the right way to, way to do it. Um, and I think like, as you were talking, Dan, um, I was just thinking about some parents and you said it earlier, Rob, where like certain parents, they, they, they don't really realize that the information they're giving their kid could actually be harmful and against what's in the kid's best interest. Yeah. Even if it's like, yes, it could be harmful or, or counterproductive tech, technically or tactically or whatever yeah but even if it's good information and it's contrary to what he's being coached then it's gonna mess with his head or her head that's the whole thing um yeah yeah put the onus on the player like and that's what I, one of my best mates he's little girl plays for a professional london club and i he sees where she, what she needs to work on and again parent player goes in one ear out the other a parent cannot tell their child what to do so when they visually see it, then ask them the question. Instead of just saying, look, this is where you went wrong. This is, get their feedback. What could have you done better? And then yeah. it's just, they may not get it. And that's what you need to understand. The picture that you're seeing, they may not be mature enough or uh, their football intelligence may not be there where they understand what they've done wrong and don't force it. I've, I think it could be a growing industry. Uh, yeah, Go this on. is what I was going to say. So yeah. video analysis has been amazing for me. I've, when I've had it as a player, when I've had coaches uh, sitting me down and walking through, the, uh, showing me things that I could do better or other players have done that I haven't done, amazing. And then when I've used it, uh, gone on to use it as a coach, when I've coached men's teams or whatever, I found it brilliant as well. I, I'm sure soon these these academies are going to have analysis video analysis working with the kids rather than just sending them the clips and they do they, so that, so they do. I, yeah i'm sure at like 15 14 oh yeah younger, but from younger that's what yeah I, mean. I don't think it's going to be a case of in five years they just send the parents the clips mm -hmm. and, and the kid they do what they want with it i think it's going to be much more structured i mean it has to be they it do a workshop be. so they do a workshop twice a year i think where they sort of educate parents and players on how to use huddle right um yeah how to use to how to yeah how to isolate the, the incidents in a game and, and then it's a player but then it's down to the parents knowledge and that's the, that's the problem where it's going to be but i think that's where the parent has to be self-aware enough to say look i'm not the expert here yeah um i'm gonna find a football expert and then now like they, i'll send them the clips 85 percent um, of parents believe they're football experts. I know. And 60% yeah. won't want to pay for that service. They should. And it's, yeah, but then it's, at what age do you start? How realistic is it that that person's, what's the point? Because unless they're at, But when the yeah. academy send it out, don't they offer advice on, I, I or they think, just send I think, it out? Because they I know that parents Chelsea, don't. I do actually think Chelsea do that. From what age? And um, from what age at the other clubs? Do, they, do you have like a video analysis? Working with the children. Yeah, but you know what they could do? That's free and easy. They're already paying for. 
Sky, watch the football. Watch football. I was going to say that. Though. See Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, Omri. I said this to a player this week. You need just, to start watching more football. Just see them. That just see their breakdown. If, if for example, you think your child is like Grealish, for example, just just to yeah. throw the name out. Watch Grealish. Watch what he does on the ball, off the ball. Watch the positions he takes up. Watch what he does when he's on the ball, and then say to your child, "Oh, Malachi, oh, Theo, Ethan, whatever." Like, what do you think he done well today? What do you think he could have done better? And you can have the same discussion just using someone that they enjoy watching. Like it's free, it's simple, it's easy, it's there for you to use. But again, because we're talking about how qualified, and when I say qualified, like there's a lot of things that comes into qualifying your knowledge of the game, right? Just because I play doesn't mean I know how to to, to coach. They're two different yeah. skills, right? Like to learn how to coach, I had to go and learn how to coach. Do you see what I'm saying? And I can definitely see conflicts happening where if a parent was to then go and hire a coach to then analyze the huddle clips and then give feedback for the child, definitely it can conflict with the club. Like I actually had it with QPR um, for So um, maybe it was a couple of years ago when he's playing center back. Um, I didn't understand why he was out in the right back space. He was like, I, I felt like he, he was there and then the right back was kind of on his toes. And I was saying, look, man, you need to try and get, well, I, I was saying that he should come into the box. I was like, come into the box to get the ball and be the leader, tell the right back to get higher up and then you, you can play out. Um, he then came back and said, no, um, QPR have said we're not allowed to come and get the ball in the box. But I was like, but the rules have changed. Like that's, You're allowed to do it. And he's like, nah, QPR don't want that. And then I was then baffled. And then, yeah. I think it's it a different clubs' philosophies. So mm. if a defender drops in to receive, they're then going to bring pressure onto it. And then certain players, not certain players, clubs won't want to come in to receive because how good is their first touch? How good, how well do they cope with receiving the ball under pressure? So I'm not saying that, but there's, and that's the problem with analysis with one-on-one -on -one coaches they're doing a generic session, mm -hmm. but you don't actually know the player. You don't know what the club want from the player. You don't know what the club's philosophy is from playing out from the back. And it's so, at a certain level, grassroots, certain level at academies, it's not really needed. Mm -hmm. It's not, don't waste your money as a parent. Pay. I have to pay for a one-on-one -on -one coach for Theo because he's not really bothered about football and we, he don't want to work with me. So it's me trying to get that. I want him to want to play football mm. um but you can't just throw money at anyone thinking an analysis or a one-on-one -on -one coach thinking they're going to make my player assert no no but i think the clubs are gonna it's gonna filter down the age groups is what I, what I was saying so you have a video analysis helping the players at under 15 i'm sure you do like at chelsea oh, yeah, 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 yeah 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 but i think that'll yeah. filter down to younger age groups very very soon but i just think when we're talking about these parents whose children aren't in academies like they, they don't have the same resources right and we're still talking about the clubs that are at the top of the game so even clubs that are outside of that top six top eight like they don't have the same resources especially as you filter further down the age groups so that's why i say it's like you just have to figure out ways to be resourceful like you football is on there's a multitude of games in god knows how many leagues across the world on your tv you're already playing paying for a sky subscription for bt sports so, I'd help like break those games down. I've last year I tried it with Theo. Sky Plus records series record match of the day. And I just wanted him to watch the analysis, but it was literally only about a minute after each game. 
thinking he might see something, he weren't bothered. So I just yeah stopped it. <laughs> but that is the yeah. easiest way for young players to learn. Don't watch the whole of match of the day. Just watch when Gary Lineker, Michael Richards and Alan Shearer say KDB found these passes. Look at the space that he created. And they literally, it would be 45 seconds to a minute after each game. And it's just giving them a different way of thinking where they could be like, look what the elite level is doing. How can you bring that into your game? Mm. Should we pick a new topic? <laughs> we've only done one, haven't we? We're running out of time. <laughs> we've No, we've like we've actually got through a few for, as we've been going along. I just haven't picked them out. Um, I'll pick one up. Gus Regista. That felt a bit fixed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I just leaned over. Discuss Regista. Have I pronounced it correctly, Rob? Regista, yeah. Shall I give, give a definition of what a Regista is? I'd like to hear your definition. Well, I'm cheating Educate a bit. Educate me because I don't know what a Regista is. Because Marcelo texts me this. So... The Regista is a creative player who operates in front of the defence, almost always in a central position, and looks to get on the ball as often as possible. They're responsible for providing the link between the defence and attack and controlling the tempo of the game through their passing. The Regista is also known as a deep-lying playmaker. They retain their deep position and dictate their team's play with their distribution. Oh, so you could have just said six. <laughs> no, because there's different types of six. Give yeah, me an example in the Premier League. Yeah, destroyers yeah, okay. who are yeah. Rodri. Yeah, Audrey. yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> can you give me a few Premier League examples, just so that I can Current picture? Current Premier League, y yeah, uh, or any, just Jorginho. any. Jorginho, Jorginho yeah. is one. Uh, trying to go through the clubs, just any Liverpool previous. Um, Skulls played there later in his career. Carrick, Carrick, yeah, Chabi Alonso, Bushgets, uh, Bushgets. We did a post on it recently. Busquets, um, Chavi played there before Busquets was playing there for Barca. Jemba um, Jemba. PLO. No, no not, <laughs> not the same. Yeah, you got the picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you feel that, well, I think I think it's come out because, um, yeah, we, we all feel that it's a very like undervalued position. In this, um, in this country i mean yeah we, we've like, i didn't know how to say the name i couldn't spell it so the other day when i was trying to do a post on it i just was calling a defensive midfielder um and then yeah mars had to text me and be like no it's a regista um, <laughs> um but yeah and, and then then we had loads of when we were putting out asking the project footballer community to send us like your favorite number sixes or registers um there was a lot of I suppose that like confusion because some people are saying well, Roy Keane should be in there, um, Declan Rice. And I think like you were there messaging Rob and you were saying that these people, they do different roles. They're, they're defensive midfielders, yeah, they're but they're not the necessarily the like pitch, registers. Their jobs are completely different. Um, yeah. So we've spoken about it in previous podcasts, but the skill set that you're required to, to play like that, to have that style it's just undervalued in England. The culture doesn't doesn't nurture that type of player. So, the parents would go crazy. Academy parents, if someone's receiving the ball on a half turn <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're going to lose it, or yeah, like it's where you're. I don't think I, I, I would disagree with that. Like, I potentially I can maybe see what you're saying. Like, um, but Chelsea or dominant possession teams. They are very, they, like Man City, 
they are going to be comfortable like playing out from the back and receiving on those half different turns. because they have a distinct style of play right that is theirs yeah do you know what i mean it's yeah a spanish ideology they brought in well of course because it's pep yeah so it's not, they, well, it's not just pep it's people that came in like and people I, that came in before yeah, him. But I feel like he has risen the the status of that particular type of you know, Barca, Barca were the best Barca under him, Bayern, now City. So I would so essentially what I'm saying is Man City, you know exactly what you're getting. And it's the same from under eight to the first yeah, team. You can't put Chelsea in with in with Man City. You, you can't yes, because it's because it's different. I I think City is almost like they're they're an entity on unto their own with that style of play. So I agree with Dan. Parents will go mental because no one wants to see their under nine, even as a parent, give away the ball in front of the back four for teams. Oh, I disagree. We moan at them playing it out from the back. So at GPR, we all know they play it to the fullbacks and then we go forwards. And the amount of times that we in younger age groups that we'd lose the ball, be a poor pass from the keeper or poor first touch and no one shuffled across. Like parents are losing their heads and the players are losing their heads. So you imagine a regista trying to... But I, like, no, no. I, I can only speak. You're not. You're never going to hear the parents that are being like respectful about it and understanding. But you are going to hear the one parent. What age group would you say that are shouting about it? These or... pl- these players need to because I know Sean's disagreeing with me. Yeah, what yeah, age yeah. group would you say these players will come into their and you'll notice that player there is. What age group will you notice that they're that position or yeah. that role kind of thing? Yeah. I. That's difficult. Because knowing technically at under nines, under tens, they're good enough. But in a game... I, I don't... Yeah. In England, I think it's different to Spain. I think if you went to Spain, you would see that type of player a lot earlier because their 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 role would already be a role. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's not a role in England probably until you get to, I would imagine, well, it's still 14, not a role, is it? 14, 15, I would say. But we've identified that it's still not a role in the national team. It's not a role. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean the culture doesn't doesn't nurture that, to, that. Yeah, and I think the the one thing as well because obviously a topic that you you love so much about ball mastery, um, <laughs> like the six is actually spends a lot of time. I don't want to say they take a lot less touches because of the nature of the position they play. So their thing is all about operating in space. Whether what that's... they don't do Zidane's Joe Coles and 15 stuff. Like, no, <laughs> no, but that's, but that's my yeah. point, right? So we're talking about ball mastery, getting on the ball, touches, touches, touches. They play a lot on one and two touch, a lot of finding pockets, a lot of finding space on the half turn where they can, like you said, they can, can uh, join the back and the front of the play like very quickly. So you look at what we're trying to teach. We trying to teach kids from a young age is on the ball. It's tricks. It's this, it's that. I say we, I'm not part of that. That, that class um, <laughs> but it's like it's a lot of being on the ball being on the ball being on the ball and stay yes, on the ball I hate stay on the ball it's a lot of staying on the ball and I... don't get me wrong six is the is the quarterback right so they need to be on the ball but a lot of times it's one two touch scanning three seconds it's not on play simple get it again look no not on boom bounce it's a lot of finding pockets to maybe not even receive the ball but to just draw people out a lot of it is more about thinking than they're act- what they actually do when the ball is painting a foot. picture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, hence why I got mad when we was having that conversation in the comments. And I'm saying, for me, you have the 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 six is the most intelligent person on the pitch. Yes, for sure. And the pro- the problem I find with the the way England are trying to well, they're not trying to produce it is I don't think the coaches at young levels understand that. No, I don't think 
I don't think they understand that kind of game. And can you really, can you really understand it if you haven't kind of experienced it as a player? Not not necessarily playing in that position, but at least playing with players that have that kind of intelligence but, and learning but, that way. Yeah, I, but I think that's where we've got to improve the culture in England. Yeah. Like we've sort of gone around the room early on. I didn't know how to spell Regista or like say it properly to start with. Um, we needed definitions of it. Um, I don't think like amongst the parents at Chelsea, like, no, have you ever no, heard no. that? I thought Bob made it up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> for, for Regista. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I think like, when when we become more comfortable to say, oh yeah, Regista, Regista, you know, and like we're really clear on it, that will then help things because I definitely think with scouting, um, it's a lot more nuanced to identify the abilities that would be for a potential Regista player at like eight years old, seven years old. I think I did a post on it recently where you're saying you're talk you're looking at the players like first touch. Um, they might not be physically the biggest, um, but they might be like really great thinker, quick thinker, have really amazing awareness. Um, but these things are so subtle that like you're not really like noticing and, and and a lot of those players potentially could get lost. Whereas then at 13, 14, once they've gone through puberty, then that could have been an amazing register. When you're talking about the uh, the culture, I think we as, what did you call this podcast? Oh, oh what did I say then? Number one academy. Yeah, one referred one to academy as the number one football academy football, football podcast. podcast by the fans. Yeah, so we have a bit of a voice now, which is which is nice. But yeah, we have a bit of a responsibility, I think, to, to talk about the ball mastery, the stuff that uh, a lot of coaches are doing in these sessions. They're... They are teaching these kids to be freestylers, not to be footballers. Like none of this, not none of it. A lot of this stuff that they're doing, they will not be able to use in a game. I just want to come back to a point that you made, Danny, about um, if if the player received the ball on the edge of the box on a half turn, parents would be going mad. Um, I can speak from the experience at Chelsea. Um, like we do a lot of work with like parent education on that culture to really help the parents understand that it doesn't matter if the kid makes a mistake and we expect the kid to try things and we do expect to play out from the back. Um, is that what your experience has been like, Portia? Like, what's it like on the sidelines if kids make mistakes in the back line and give goals away? I mean, I know you haven't, haven't had games, you haven't, matches, played, we haven't started matches yet, but in training, in like... In training, I mean, it's fine. We don't really get involved, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think it's different when it gets to under nines and there's games. Yeah. Like, and it's don't get me wrong. Yeah, and we and we do at QPR. We don't care. They don't care about results. Like no. the, Chris Ramsey doesn't want to know. Doesn't care how anyone got on. It's not a results based business. Yeah. But as a parent, the players you want to win that game. So making a mistake and just losing the ball, the players are losing their head. Imagine losing the ball. In front of goal, they go and score. Like Theo is a centre-back, is a right-back. So he's scored own goals. He's given the ball away on a poor back pass. Um, and it's, yeah, that's part of your development. But you're trying to play out from the back, pulling the centre-backs out wide, a number six coming in to receive. And it, it's just, yeah, once it then gets to December to March, and there's scholarships, there's contracts, there's two years. Like, yeah, this, my son who's a centre forward, his job is just to score. That six or the centre back or the right back who's conceding more goals because they're making more mistakes. That's when it's parents, play it safe, do your job. right? And that's, I understand, but as a parent, 
And as a one-on-one coach, if my the player that I'm working with is fighting for another two-year contract or a first-year pro or scholarship, eliminate the mistakes. I know the clubs want you to play a certain way, but if you keep losing the ball there and they're scoring, I'm guaranteeing you're not getting a scholarship. You're not getting a first year pro. And it's, it's what, where do you want to go? They want to develop the individual, but you're affecting the team result. And it's kind of, yeah, I don't know what it's like. It's, but uh, it's, like the thing is that if that player, that six starts being so worried about making a mistake like there, and then they stop taking risk and just everything just goes back to the center back when they receive or they start hiding, not wanting to get on the ball, then that is a completely ineffective register player. And then like they haven't got a chance of being a footballer, really. From February to March, yeah. every year, I can guarantee, and I've had conversations with this with other scouts and academy managers, from February to April, majority of football academies, football style and how their players perform and behave changes because it's contracts like and it's it's and that's where the players understand unless you're on a two-year or a two-year contract that first year you don't have to worry but when it comes it's because it's about the pressure like the, the and this is what the parents need to understand like the players know someone's been offered a contract early someone is always in the weaker group or we've got two teams and there's there's a weaker team and a stronger or do they like there's the players understand it yeah i don't i don't think um the pressure is the reason we're not developing these types of players. I think it's because in England, we're playing half a game. We're just playing the 1v1 game. There's no emphasis at younger ages put on the passing and the receiving and the movement. I never learned any of that until I was about 20, 25, 26. Like, a, lot of kids, abroad. a lot of kids don't realise they're involved in the game unless they're on the ball. And you notice that as well, at the younger age groups, obviously, because they, they want to be on the ball. I can understand it five to seven years old. I can understand yeah, it. But, but once you get older than that, once you're like seven, eight, nine, ten, you, you this is when we have to really start teaching kids to appreciate their movement off the ball because... Connecting with other people. Connecting with other people. Because in coaching, you have on, around and away from the ball. You're all involved in the game. And what you're doing, obviously, at their age, up to 50 yards up the pitch, has a direct effect on what your teammate can do on the ball 50 yards away from you and appreciating that in a 90 minute game the ball's only on the pitch for 55 minutes and there's 22 people on the pitch so the amount of time you're going to be touching the ball anyway is very limited so in actual fact 90 odd percent of the work you're going to do is off the ball whether in yeah, or out I think of you possession. spend less than two minutes on the ball in the game right and and, and that wouldn't even so if everyone spent two minutes on the ball that's 40 odd minutes plus whatever so and you're not going to, not everyone is going to spend two minutes on the ball, right? So it's a case of just thinking to myself, how can I affect the game without being on the ball? But then it goes back to the point, parents might think, oh, my son's not going to get scouted because he's not been on the ball. But then let's talk about the scout. What is it the scout's looking for? Because I'm not just saying- The scout is beholden to the, the ethos of the club. The ethos of the club. So if you want someone that is really good on the ball in 1v1 situations, and which the parent club does, which every club does, and the parent notices that that kid went because he's really good on the ball. Then I'm going to take you to Skill School FC because my son needs to be good at that because I want him to get a scholarship now. So I think we have to start thinking about just long term development and thinking because it doesn't matter if your kid gets a two year contract at under tens. Doesn't mean he's going to be a footballer by the time he gets to. It doesn't mean he's going to get a scholar at sixteen. Doesn't mean he's going to be a footballer when he's eighteen. Like it, it. How much does it mean? Do you know what I mean? I've had that conversation this week with with one of my friends. He sent me a video of 
a Brazilian under seven futsal game. So in Brazil and Spain, they don't play football until mm. they're like 11, 10, 11. They just play futsal. Okay. And the, the game had like a big crowd, like it was like a, yeah. let's say like a good non-league game kind of crowd indoors, really good atmosphere. So it was, it was about the results. So it kind of opened my eyes a little bit because I've been more in your camp where results shouldn't matter, mistakes shouldn't matter and all that. But this game, it was an under seven game and it, you could see it mattered, but they were playing. They were playing out from the very back. They were taking risks in terms of trying to find intricate passes. Mm -hmm. They weren't doing like, like you said, Joe Cole's Zidane's out of, yeah, out of yeah, pressure yeah. and all that. They were moving to receive the ball. They were moving to take players away to allow space for people to rotate in. It was so advanced. I showed you it, didn't I? Yeah, it yeah, yeah. So it was advanced really good. Compared it was really, really good. What you'd see like at a Chelsea uh, or a... Sorry, I always use you. <laughs> like any any More of the of Man City than the Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> no, any of the academies yeah. in England, maybe apart from City, like it was so advanced compared to what you'd see yeah. in terms of. And I'm not talking about obviously on the ball. The players here, when they have the ball and it's a one v one situation, the players here are probably as good as anything in the world. The the best players here, but they are really lacking uh, compared to Brazil and Spain in what you would see. The best, and you notice it when when academy teams do European tours you notice the difference in style mm. and the one thing where I've only been on two or three with QPR but I know Ch Cat 1 academies do it every year but one thing that I have noticed with us is physically we win the games so although technically the teams there was a Spanish team we had a Lithuanian technically they will be they'll play they'll have that six and it's it's grained into them they know what to do but yeah. then Physically, we're there. We yeah. hunt them down, and then and I understand. I think it's a generational thing. I don't think because even if it the FA introduce it, it's going to take three or four years for it to be ingrained into an under twelve that has been taught for the last four years to go long or play it out wide. And it there's not that kind of player that is happy to take the risk, is okay with losing it, is going to be supported in their mistake. Yeah, I don't think it's the risk taking because dribbling with the ball is happening everywhere on the pitch mm. pretty much. And there's loads of risk in that. There's, I think there's just as much risk mm. in, in dribbling. It's just um, we're only learning that. We're only learning dribbling and 1v1 here. Whereas you're getting the dribbling and 1v1 in Brazil and Spain, but you're getting so much more. And mm. like, I've got to send you the, the video of this game. Yeah, it's just amazing. Should we pick another subject? Pick one, Rob, so you don't think that I'm just... Eating. Yeah. Passing the ball backwards. What's that mean? Awesome. Took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What are people's thoughts in first team football, senior football, passing the ball backwards? Um, like, is it, is, yeah. How, when should it be done? When it's the right pass. Like, what do you it mean? Like, be just done. going in the other direction? Going back towards your own goal. Yeah. yeah if, so, if you have yeah. to, though, if you can't, because sometimes you'll pass to the goalkeeper, no? If you can't find a pass. Okay, so... So you'll pass to your goalkeeper, get into a better space. So is that what like, you'd say? That. But hang on. Question. No, 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 no. No, no, I think, I think a good way to phrase it is, so again, taking it back to grassroots, right? Yeah. A lot of kids will not pass back to the goalie. Okay. It's like they have to go forward, like no matter not what. Not just that, take it a step further. I'm trying to... Uh, teach kids that if you don't have time and space and you bring the ball back a step, you suddenly do have time and space, but they, they find that so, it's such a foreign concept. Yeah, concept it's literally a foreign concept. Difficult thing to do to like think, oh, like it's like, 
keepers on, like keepers on, he's free. You could just turn and play backwards. But again, what are you, what is your, what is your training schedule like? Because if you're doing skill, 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 flick, skill, chop, then you're not thinking about going back to your keeper. If you're doing sessions where you're passing and moving the ball and you incorporate your keeper, I done on, one, on a coaching course I'd done, right? It was brilliant because they spoke about, and imagine this foreign concept sounds weird, like having your keepers in possession. Yeah. Having, when you're doing transition games, have your keepers in it. Why? Because you need to get used to just passing to your keeper. And yeah, when we get older, we're used to it. But from a younger age group, imagine how many less mistakes a kid might make just by playing it to their keeper and making another angle. Do you, do you know what I mean? Ethan's always been trained to pass to the keeper. Like with the that he was doing, they, they involve the keeper so much. Yeah, but they've got an outfield player involved. Is that all right? Oscar used to play goal, didn't he? But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they're outfield or not. It's the fact that they're used to realising recycling the ball and finding yeah. space is more important. But like than at first team football, players will get criticised for being negative and playing safe balls backwards. Like I know it's been a criticism of like Declan Rice's example. Mm. Like you've even criticised, even in like if we're playing five a side and someone passes all the way back to the keeper, you're just like, why are you passing backwards? You're inviting pressure yeah, on five us. Five a side's a bit different because you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's you, a third of the pitch. Dimension. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but not just that. Like with the rules, the keeper then has to get you out again. It's a little bit different. Like because the keeper has to pick it up and then you reorganise. It's a little bit different. In football, the keeper is now an extra player who can go out with the ball, look at on Onana at United's. Mm. Like you're better off giving it to him than most of the midfield there. Yeah. Like. So, so a seven-year-old, because some of this is like a mentality. Sometimes like players, they can't open their body out. They're not positive and taking the first touch forward because that's a big skill. Mm -hmm. Having that mindset to say you're going to be progressive, having the ability to like go forward and drive up the pitch. Sometimes like they, once they learn that they can just play back where it came from, then yeah, they don't work on that first touch. They just keep playing backwards. And then that's a kid that's not going to be super effective. What do you think it happens too much in? I, I don't know. I think that like something, it's a topic that's just like not talked about. I think like at the very top game, it can be a weakness for a player that they're told, especially in that like, centre midfield, that they can't get on a half turn and they just play backwards all the time. And so then does it happen at very young ages where like the ability is not corrected? And I'm thinking then I what think advice do we give to parents? A lot younger. I think it happens a lot less younger. What, in terms so, of playing backwards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. And I speak, and I speak about grassroots because I f my passion now is helping raise the standard of grassroots. Yeah. Because Academy is Academy. So for me, it's like, how can I be a part of the change for grassroots? So yeah. when I do sessions, when I do technical sessions with the boys, when I'm doing patterns of play, which I think are important because you're now un trying to understand relationship between ball and where you are and creating space. It's like, yeah, use your keeper and make another angle. And I always say like, you have to look at it in tiers, right? So the most dangerous pass is a forward one, then a sideways one, then a backwards one. So a backwards pass tends to be the least dangerous, but then what is the pass afterwards? Are you playing backwards to draw defenders out to then play beyond? Or are you just playing backwards because you haven't turned and looked up the pitch? So now it's again, it's going back to when they're younger. It's a safe option. Is it the safe option because you haven't looked? Is it exactly? The, is it, yeah, so then that's, a, that's another, so when you're looking at your huddle or your view or whatever you're going, Oh, well, you only played backwards because you're not comfortable turning out on your weaker foot. Exactly. Or you only played, but again, so or you haven't done the, the movement to receive, to lose your player, to have space, to, get to be able to, forward. exactly. Yeah. So I think like, you know, for, for Porsche, for, for you, like having conversations with Ethan, like I would be saying to Ethan, like play forwards where possible. But if you can't play forwards, then you'd play sideways mm -hmm. or backwards. But you want the player to have, 
that positive mindset to take the ball forward. Where, positive that, first touch. Positive yeah, first yeah, touch yeah. and then scan to make sure that you've got that space. So you force the player to have those correct habits mm -hmm. before receiving like to do that. And I, yeah, I just think it's a little detail that maybe well, is just well, not really kind talked of about. goes like against you wanting a register because registers are all about like Chavi, for example. He says, I understand football as time and space. Right. And like I just said to Darius before, like a lot of players, especially younger players, but in England generally, they don't they, they don't have that that um that mindset where they they don't have space and if they bring the ball backwards just with themselves they don't yeah. have, I'm not talking about passing it backwards understand yeah but bringing the ball backwards is a way to create space and we just don't have that mindset enough here like it's not a it's not it's part negative of our, yes but then going back to when you're coaching it and getting talking about like you're probably as good on the ball as your teammates are in terms of creating space and time ahead of you right so if you turn and you look forward and there's no movement, then you're only gonna play backwards anyway. So, okay, us, you didn't take a good positive first touch. Right, cool, let's, right, you take a positive first touch. Now, what are you doing? Now, what are you doing? Now, what are you gonna do? Because if you're not moving, my pass is gonna be backwards anyway. And when we're watching a game, I guess you only get to watch it from one type of angle. And when you're watching your child play or whatever, you're only watching your child. So you're not looking at like, oh, well, he didn't move, she didn't move, she didn't do anything. So. The context of the picture that was available, yeah, playing backwards was, was the best thing. But we just so focused on like this thing in front of us that's, that we don't see the yeah, picture. That's, I mean. that's such a great point. You know, I'm really glad you sort of kind of like pulled me up on that, Rob, because like I've been thinking about first touches and a lot of players will control the ball and then control it still at their feet. Hmm. And kind of a good first touch is conditioned that as long as the ball ends up still, that's a good first touch. Yeah. Like maybe um, a lot of coaching do that, but really like the, you should be taking your first touch into a space. Yeah. That was one of my things with Aurelian. So I had one of the clips that I had sent him was his first touch stops it. Bang. However the ball comes to him, he'll just kill it. Right. Then he takes a second touch. Then he opens up, then he plays. And my, what I'd sent to his agent was, what we want to work on is his first touch is a control and out your feet in one touch. Wow. And it's so simple. Yeah. He's an elite athlete, but it's, yeah, at that level, he can, he's taking three touches and then making a decision. Whereas can we do that in one? And that's where players with his technical ability can kill the ball. But mentally, they don't understand you can kill it and get it out yeah. in one touch rather yeah. than let me just control it. It looks sexy. Let me take another. Let me be like Pogba where but I've got time and space. That's that speed of thought though, because then imagine how quick your the player's becoming. But it's two then. different types of players. Physically, how technically how good are you? Mentally, how adapt can you how quick can you think? And but, that's where and, and and that's it. Like that's what we're not working early enough on. There's something you're so passionate about, Rob, is that the mental side of the game is not being challenged at a young age. Um, and you can be like working on this. You can be working on first touch and like mental as well. And that's crazy that you said exactly what you said you've worked on with Chiumeni. That's a 90 million pound player. I've been doing exactly the same thing with like grassroots under sevens at Gen Football in the last couple of weeks. Like try and do more with your first touch rather than just stopping it. And then you have to take another one out your feet and maybe another one to change direction. Try and do more with your first touch. Like, But then the flip side to that is Pundi, we work on his first touch to keep the ball under control. Yeah. And don't get me, this isn't me saying he's technically not a good player, 
but it's that's not his area. Aurelian's in the middle. Jules is a centre-back, right-back. And it's just understanding not all players are going to be able to control it, get out of their feet in one touch. And depending on your position, your ability, maybe you need to work just on your first touch. Right, but okay. Well, after that, then start then taking when, it yeah, directional. Rather than throwing them straight in. Because like if we think like when we were all like learning to drive and everything was so difficult, like doing so many things at once and multitasking and then the brain is slow, but then gradually you do it so many hours and it just gets, you don't even think about it anymore, becomes automated. Like that's what we've got to try and get these first touches to be like, um, if we can get like the brain actually working. But I think a lot but of coaches are not this, thinking like that. Your coaching style and seeing sort of your stories and your posts, me knowing what I know, like I'm, I love seeing them sessions. However, a parent that is clueless, that sees Joe Bloggs doing a million stepovers with sexy music, it's not sexy and it's not appealing, but that's what they need. And this is the problem with social media now. You're seeing something that looks glamorous with a bit of music and doing all these dance moves, but it's not realistic. Whereas when you see that, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna look as amazing on the eye, but it's what they need. And that's where educating parents back, yeah i've only been back coaching kids for like a year now i was working more with adults and stuff but um when i first got back into it i was kind of a little bit conflicted as to what i wanted to do with coach like how i wanted to coach kids and like people were like wanting me to do skills because that's what they see me as like mm. can you teach my kids skills because i was a skillful player and like the more i like go into it the more i think i shouldn't be doing this i feel like i'm <coughs> cheating them even though it might help them towards getting into an academy or towards playing at the best level now that they can, I think long-term it's it's yeah. counterproductive. And I know I can give them more by working on what I actually enjoy coaching, but also what they're going to actually need more later on when they're actually a footballer or a semi-professional footballer or a footballer who's wanting to enjoy it at whatever level. Rather than trying to do 20 Zidane's and- Why well, I say yeah. that to Ethan, when you watch a professional match, they're not doing all of that. Mm. so so true that's not what's happening it just doesn't make sense and the reason so the reason most of these coaches are doing these these funny tricks i think is because it's an easy improvement to show a parent at the end of 60 minutes yeah an easy way to justify what learned, yeah the skills an easy way to justify that for that parent to justify in their mind paying that that coach that money to yeah. do that but long -term, i've seen kids it's... with the most fancy instagram pages the mm. edits the skills and then but mm. i've seen them in a uh, game yeah and, and they're just different yeah thrashed some really? of them are yeah they can't like one-on-one -on -one, they're good yeah but in a match they've got no intelligence or they don't know what they're doing some of them are unknowingly learning to become a freestyler not a footballer mm. or just a five-a-side football like it's yeah. not really yeah and it's it's yeah i'm not going to put one-on-one -on -one coaches down because that's what they do no, i'm not no, going to put these not, oh no yeah no um but then some of these players that come across as freestylers and doing all, but an academy director, an academy coach, that's not what they're looking for. Mm. Like put them in that environment and then see how often are you going to be able to, in a 1v1, how often in a 1v1 are you doing a double step over and a drag back or, uh, yeah. But then as a six, the half, like you can get these skills, receiving the ball on a half turn or that first touch, you can use that anywhere you want, but mm. Theo is not going to be doing a Zidane and a step over as a centre-back. And it's just not, although I, I can see where some of the coaches, their argument might be, 
I do some of them sometimes as part of my warm up, and it's just helping with like their balance, their coordination. But it's it's part of the warm up. It's yeah. not the actual. I think it helps with their confidence. <laughs> it helps with their confidence as well, though. I think. Yeah. There's a there's a place for it all. There's a place for it. Yeah, and it, they it enjoy the it. It helps with their enjoyment. And it's the first of the five game. minutes of the session yeah. to get ball familiarization. Yeah. It shouldn't be the body of the session. And there are times it will get used in the game, but, but just not yeah. To and that I think extent. um like we had a conversation on the last episode that we published. And we were having this conversation about like wingers and what's, how that's going to be progressing in the future of the game. And you made a point where you said 1v1 wingers will keep getting better and better. But then you said about fullbacks also and then doubling up on those wingers. How often does Grealish go past a player now? Because it's always one against two. Mm. It's always one against mm. two. Like It's really hard for wingers. It's, it's probably a little bit easier in a counter-attacking team. But it's really hard for wingers to get isolated 1v1 now. Because they've just got a slow Grealish down and then someone's yeah. going to recover and then it's a 2v1. Exactly. Yeah. But, but the need, but wingers do need to be tricky and have... Able to do that. Yeah, they do. So like, then we start coming into um, like trying to like understand at an early age. Hold but, on, hold on. Tricky is the wrong word. They need, that, they need to be to. effective 1v1. Yeah. Effective 1v1, fine, yeah. fine. Mitoma's okay. not okay. tricky. He's yeah. ridiculously effective 1v1. Okay, yeah. okay. So then, all right. So if you start thinking that your kid is going to be playing out wide and going to need to be effect very effective in a 1v1, then do you start like doubling down on that training? So you, you can do a lot of 1v1 stuff that doesn't involve freestyling moves. I don't know if it was on camera or off camera. He spoke about Ethan. He's got... Uh, Porsche's Ethan. Yes. He's got like two or three uh, skill skills that he does really well and he uses them over and over. And that's that's the way to, I think, to be f effective. Like, not if, if Ethan started doing, on the pitch, started doing like Joe Coles and all these complicated, like, oh, convoluted. I think he does do. He, he does, does, he does. He, he's got an array of skills. Yeah, he does, he does. He's, he's got a lot, lot of flair. Yeah, but when I see him running at people, it's always shapes up, uh, rolls the ball across his body with his with the sole of his foot and he, his disguise kills the defender. What it's position do you think up. Ethan will play when he grows up, if you had to guess winger. now? You think he's going to be a winger? But that being said, let's remember, like, even if Ethan is all those things, like, he's an outlier because we don't have many of those in the game. If I asked you to tell me who the most expressive players are skill-wise, you could probably name them all on one hand at the highest level. Neymar, Vinny Jr. at times, but a lot of his is like explosive plays, slowing them down. More and up. more is within structure now, isn't it? Yeah. Name me the others. But we don't know what they looked like when they were six and seven years old. No, but I'm saying in the professional game now, forget yeah. what they are, what they were then. But the process so, for them to become those players, the love for the game, the expression, the fun that they had, yeah. um, like there's maybe like the cognitive development that happens of learning a skill, yeah. like maybe as part of the process. But what I'm saying is, is that again, the players who are playing at the highest levels are doing the things they're very good at consistently. Yeah. So no matter what your age is, if you're doing the thing you're very good at consistently, you will go into the pro game, the elite game at the highest level doing those same things. Yes, with more structure, with uh, understanding when to use those certain techniques and whatnot, but at the highest level, the very highest level, there's probably only a handful, 
if that that we can name. Neymar so, really stands out. So Neymar re- exactly. And why does Neymar re- Ronaldinho really stands out? Yeah, he's he's in an era where you where there was more expression. In- where there was more expression. But yet again, there's not in if I, name him, name him. Let's name him in today's game. Like honestly, name him in today's game. Like I said, Neymar does really stand out a long way above everyone else as that style of player. So then who's who's the next one? Zaha. Zaha. After that. Wingers. Wingers. Um, what's the guy for Brighton's name? Mitoma. Mitoma. No, no, he's he's very uh, not stylistically, not not the same. Yeah, yeah. but the he's reason very like direct. direct. Yeah, the re- yeah. and the reason I say this is because essentially Ethan might just be one of the few because there's only ever going to be a few because you can't certain things you can't train. You can improve, but you can't train. You're innately stylistically a particular type of way. Like Ronaldo couldn't be Messi because they don't have the same center of gravity. They don't have the same build. They don't manipulate the ball the same way. Mm. Two very different players who were the most effective to ever have played the game. But if one's trying to become the other, then it's like a fish trying to climb a tree. But what about at like, (laughs) okay, okay. But what about at like seven years old, six years old, if you're shown everything that's possible with a ball and your feet, then you start finding like what you like to do and what works for you. And then maybe that process is, is working. England are the best that they've ever been at this stage. We'd agree. So, so our coaching that we've done in the last like 10, 15 years is producing players now like Harry Kane that are going out to Bayern Munich and you know all the other Jude Bellingham now standing up for Real Madrid, Phil Foden. Like we are in a good place with like what's being been done. I think this obviously how, how how much worse of a place could we be in with the money that is in this country for football? Like really, we're not punching above our weight. And Foden doesn't start for England. Let's remember, someone like a Phil Foden doesn't start. In a Spanish team or a Brazilian team or a French team, he's, he's playing. He's playing. Are Carri- we underachieving with the funding involved, the facilities, what we invest? Are we... We're between underachieving and just about par. We're definitely not punching above our weight. Yeah. No, what I don't saying. think it's a success, if I'm being honest, and yeah. it's not. But, but we don't need to rip up the model. Like, we don't need... To, like, like, if we were saying that having enough focus on expression and staying on a ball and ball mastery... It's, it's, you know, had quite good results. But again, it goes back to what, what's the metric we're using to, to determine success? Because as a national team, we beat the teams we should beat. Yeah. Like we beat the teams we should be. And then when we play opposition that it go either way, it always goes the other way. And we've come a long way. And I think Gareth Southgate has been brilliant in terms of where he's taken the national team, including a lot of the younger players and whatnot. He really is a student of the game. It's just that we're at that place now where it's like something has to to take us over the line. Something has to give. If we won the Euros next year, like the games we've lost, those big those big games that we've lost, the last three tournaments, it's such a small sample size, and those games can go either way. Mm. Like we could win next year, it still wouldn't change anything. And everyone's gonna think, oh yeah, it wouldn't change anything in my mind. Not one thing. Mm. We'd still have the same. Problems with our culture. Remember, Greece won the Euros, the Euros. in 2004. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're doing everything right. No, mm. and I'm definitely not saying doing everything right. I'm just trying to say that we haven't got it like totally wrong. I think I think we're like almost 70% towards like, I wouldn't say no, we're way far off. I wouldn't say we're that good. Uh, I yeah. mean, like, like I said, I feel like they're only learning a very 
small part of the game. Okay. Yeah. Did you guys at, at watch the... Age. I'm not putting you on the spot for him. He might have been busy, but did you watch the Women's World Cup, the yeah. final the other day? Yeah. yeah. That, um, was a, that was a great advertisement for football. Women's, men's. Yeah. The, the football was beautiful. But did you see the differences between England and Spain? It was the same differences that you'd see in any England Spain in game England and Spain level. It's yeah. I, thought it was, I thought it was really yeah. apparent. Yeah, I thought it was really, really apparent. I thought it was a, almost an exaggerated example. Yeah. of um, the difference in philosophies um, and and you know how much England unfortunately did struggle um, because we couldn't keep the ball. Mm -hmm. um, we were. Is it not the same with the men's though? That's what we're saying. Like, this, is this it? Is, yeah. Like I know you'll say it was really apparent with the, but I feel any time. The men's team, senior teams play against each other. It's the exact same, but it just, there was more of a spotlight now because. But like, in, okay, in the under 21s, the yeah. under 20, yeah. So we're talking about that mm -hmm. under 21 Spain, England, um, England ended up winning the game mm -hmm. um, because it, it wasn't like Spain's possession didn't have so much of a dominant effect. Go on. England didn't win the game because of that. Games are like, games like that are such a different, Decided by such small margins. It's yeah. like they can go either way. Spain yeah. are going to beat England at all the levels with that style against that style. Generally, I would say seven, seven to eight times out of 10, I would say they're going to win and they're still going to lose two or three times out of 10. That's what I think. Really? And it could be the World Cup final. It could be a friendly, whatever. But And the games are always going to be tight because of the way Spain are and they don't like blow teams away with goals. Yeah, The games are always going to be tight in terms of the scoreline. But... They are generally ahead of us, I would mm. say. I think if you start measuring successes for the national team, if you win the World Cup every one in four and you're in the semis and finals like every other year, like by tournament-wise. So it's like we're in the semis this one, we're in the finals this one, we win one. We're in the semis. We need a decent sample size. You need a decent enough sample size. Because at this moment in time, it's like well, we haven't won since 66 and we've been in... A, well, in in my lifetime, what a quarters, a semis. Have we been to a final? No, we haven't been to a final. Do you know what? When you're spelling it out, it sounds like we are Italy. underachieving. Was it Italy a final? Yeah, it was. It was. Italy was. Yeah, Italy which was, was what? Euros. 2021. 2021. Yeah. So I'm just speaking yeah. World Cups, oh, but okay. but yeah, generally yeah. speaking, like it has to be. You have to be in the conversation. Like that's just an, a national mean? team, but I think also producing footballers that are playing at the top level. If we've got. Champions yeah, League winning teams. Our level is the top level. That's the thing. I feel you're mm. very <laughs> half. It's half full. I feel you're very <laughs> positive yeah, yeah, when yeah, it yeah. comes yeah. to. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> I feel, yeah, we're realistic, yeah. and <laughs> it's gonna come across <laughs> negative. But I feel if you was, yeah, you're talking like Gareth Southgate. You're talking. No, like I, someone, I'm not a fan of Gareth Southgate. Oh no, by not the Gareth. Way. No, like, you're talking yeah, you know, someone from. I think he's been brilliant for England. So you're 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 seeing the positives in it, which is a very small percentage. Whereas I think if you look overall, yeah, it's not being negative. It's just should mm. be doing achieving a lot. Yeah, like um, we are producing a lot of good players in certain positions. A really a lot of good players. Uh, but you're saying um, we're producing players that play at the top. We are the top because of all the money that we've got. We are the top. So of course. Yep, when you're yep. growing up in these environments, you're going to produce mm. players that develop into that environment. You're but, not going to... Yeah, like, I, I still if, hold if, on to... If, let's one. say Saudi Arabia completely took over. Yeah. Okay. 
they they managed to attract all the better players. They had all the money. You're still going to have Saudi Arabians playing in the top teams in those mm -hmm. leagues. It's just going to happen. You're, you're going to start producing. You're going to start of producing course. better yeah. players. Yeah, because it's a long time. Yeah, but if we twenty years, yeah, like if it took us a long time. Yeah, but yeah. that's 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 what I'm saying. I remember 2007, how bad football was in England. We were terrible. We were in the gutter. Like grassroots is <laughs> awful. Like yeah, we've we, we've come on so much. Yes, but we're underachieving. That's what. Yeah, I but we were underachieving so badly back in the past. You're saying we're so underachieving. Well, like there's <laughs> yeah. been like a lot of progress with our coaching philosophy. Like how could there not be? But of the money that's but yeah, here. just because you've got money doesn't mean that you're going to spend the money in the right way. I'm I'm trying and to. I don't like, think we are. No, but like I'm trying to like gauge that we're not necessarily just going to rip up the whole coaching philosophy and say that everything we've the done. The level of money that's been invested. Yeah, it's it would be pretty difficult to, from where we've come to not have a significant improvement, which we have. Fair and it starts from the bottom up, from grassroots. Mm. And the biggest issue we have, my biggest issue in the country with educating coaches, the cost of coaching qualifications. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. is where, see if we wanted to so change that, anything, oh, it needs to be from the bottom up. As well. Yeah, it needs to be yes. grassroots, yeah. academy, educating coaches. I think we've got getting on for about five, five or more minutes or so, and we've got so many more topics. Probably not going to get a chance to talk about all these. Um, I'll waste all that prep was. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to pick this one because I think it links in with. Um, I think it links in with what we've just been talking about there, where you're talking about the cost for qualifications, money in football coaching. Hmm. Oh yeah, what money exactly? No, no, that's no. the problem. Oh, okay, that's what you're talking about. That's what <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because. Um, I I think there's a real lack. Um, if I think back to 2007 and like when I was like being involved in like creating like the Women Footballers Company, I I really like hated what was happening at the top of the game, and I was thinking, oh, I want to be involved in part of the change. Um, you know, we're going to change like we're going to produce all these good players. But what you started to find was, um, I feel that we had to develop an economic issue. Um in that coaches weren't paid enough money. So that was where we started to like create We Make Footballers as a, I'm not saying it's just We Make Footballers, I'm just saying like how I approached like changing a problem. I felt that if I could have like franchisees making a good living from working full-time in football, then they'll be able to do a really good job coaching the kids. And then if they were able to then coach the kids, then there's gonna be more good players in grassroots that then go into academies. So that was a real thing that was like uh, driven for us. And we are like very passionate about like helping we met footballer franchisees understand that they can earn like, very good money from it. it. In grassroots football, often people can say, oh, it's football. You shouldn't be earning money from football. It's wrong. It's got this like stigma why, why around should it. Not man. Be, though? Listen, make money because everyone on this planet is stressing about money. So why would you not want to make money? How much value are you adding? I think should be a should be a de better way of defining what you're doing. I charge quite a lot for my group sessions. Yeah, and my one to ones. I charge quite a lot. You yeah. know why? Yeah, because I've invested a lot. Do you know what I mean? I come with twenty years of playing experience. Yeah, and X amount of years coaching. I was coaching. Do you know what I mean? Old eyes Wevins. That was like seven years ago. Yeah. So you're paying me a a, a small fraction of what I've invested into me. So everything you're going to get 
is going to be based upon everything that I've had to go through. Do you know what I mean? The sleepless nights, the anxiety, worrying about the game, do you know what I mean? Getting injured, all of those things, like de dealing with the possibility of getting released, getting a pro contract, all those things that you didn't have to worry about. Yeah. You've got it, you've got it all in here. Do you know what I mean? So the, the, the this whole not making money thing is 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 a ridiculous like concept that we're talking about because in the newspaper it's cost of living, like inflation, uh, interest rates going up. How do you resolve those issues as an individual? Well, making more money. So that whole you can miss me with that conversation. I'm like I'm not interested in. But, people, but people do you that think that people? Go on, sorry, Paul, no, I was going to say, are you saying that are people saying it's not available to everyone then because of the prices of coaching? No, no I think um, that people like if you go on Twitter, um, there'll be certain coaches that will like put other coaches down and say. Oh, you're just fleecing the parents. You're the it's wrong. Charge yeah, yeah, yeah. You shouldn't yeah. earn that much money. It's like, definitely it's worth it, but it is um, fact that some people just can't afford it. But it's I just... think it, you you should have to justify, not actually physically tell somebody what, yeah. but whatever you're charging, how do you justify that yeah. amount? Whether it's your coaching experience, your playing experience, your qualification. I don't just mean on. I mean sort of if you've just got an A license or a B license or a level two, but what about psychologically and psychological, the psychological aspects dealing with football yeah. players, dealing yeah. with young players. Yeah. Of, yeah. I think it's, there's always going to be an issue about people saying no to one-on-one -on -one coaches. And I've had it with professional players that ask me my rates mm. and I tell them and they say no, and they're earning good money, yeah. but you pay for what you get. Mm. And if you just want a coach that is just going to, teach you there's a dance a rondo and do do the basics then that's fine but the level of service that i will provide to my athletes or other one-on-one -on -one will provide they need to be able to justify this is why you're paying this if it's just an hour and i send so many kids to other coaches that i know at goal sessions that will mm. be like you just want to stand a coach you can go there you can yeah. pay whatever the hourly rate is or if it's a group session but for my sessions what do you think, what are yearly incomes that coaches earn? In professional football? I think just across the there's spectrum. There's no money in professional football. Um, there's there's not, it's very rare that you're going to get paid a lot of money in professional football unless you are the first team manager, the 21s manager, the 18s manager, the 16s manager, unless you're the main person. Everything else in football, and you can see it, it's not me giving away a secret, go on LinkedIn, go on the mm. PFA's website, the FA's website, all the jobs within full-time football, there's no money. We had When you say no money, like what are we saying? It's not, like, it's not just competitive salary. I've, I've seen, I've seen jobs advertised at like 30,000. Yeah, so average, that's the average salary. That's what like, yeah. if you're a full-time coach at a club, whatever club, and you're the under 10s coach, is that a full-time job? Yes, because yeah. then you're going to be doing... But, but this is the issue. You're going to be doing Monday to Sunday. You'll have two days. You might get a Wednesday off and I don't know, a Saturday mm. off. But you're working in the evenings. You're working on a Sunday. If you've got an away, if, you, if it's a home game, you get there for 8 a.m. Parents get there for 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. They leave at 1. You're leaving at 2.30. It's, it's if it's like it feels like a full-time job but is it on paper a full-time job well comparatively your hourly weight rate is probably less than average because like dan said like you're working in the evening yeah you're, you're the first one to arrive you're the last one to leave pma pma you're dealing Which with is, yeah you're dealing with pair you've got to deal with parents so conversations at god knows what time of day any day of the week you can't just ignore them so it's not the type of job you can just pick up and put down 
you know what I mean? You're not just working in an office where I've done my work, I've clocked off, I'm home. This is a job that you're doing each and every single day. And what parents don't understand is with academy coaches, you have to submit your coaching sessions online. You then have to do a debrief afterwards online, how it went, each player. Like it's not, they just turn up, do a session. Like everything has to be submitted through the, it's called PMA, yeah. but coach, yeah, there's a lot more stuff rather than just an hour and a half session. But you enjoy it though. Mm. That's what you want to do. You enjoy, enjoy the actual yeah. coaching, but Absolutely. I'm sure they don't yeah. enjoy it. But enjoy even it. What, analyzing like a, a child's performance yeah, in a that's, session. That's all good. Is that not? He's like, yeah. nah. I like it. It's like what they're talking about, about like having to submit your sessions and that. I would yeah. not enjoy that, that side of it. Teachers but, love but teaching. Even if they're you, still striking for more money. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, there's always sides to a job, though, that can be. But what do you have teachers say they don't enjoy most about the job? The paperwork. Their passion is different to engage with young people, to yeah. teach them, to make, whereas when you've got all the paperwork afterwards. They don't get to teach how they want to teach because they're just. But then, so then we're saying that there's a cost to enjoying your job. Yeah. You're gonna, like, let's say you, you had the ability to go and work in another job that would be like 50 grand. I think like, um, phrase like garbage men, bin men. What do we mm -hmm. say? Women. Women. Yeah. Women. Yeah. yeah. How do like they get paid really well? 50 grand, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. 50, 60 grand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then they only work a few hours in the morning and mm -hmm. they're done. But then, Unsociable hours, but hey, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then you've got the whole day. Yeah. But then if you're then choosing not to do that because you don't want that as your career, um, but you want to be a football coach, then you're going to earn 20 grand less. It's like you're paying 20,000 to work in to your passion. To do what you love, mm. yeah. But then is that then, so then, so then if you're then outside, cause I know uh, again, like with, with our franchises, our franchisees are earning like, yeah, way more. Um, and then yeah, football coaches as well, mm -hmm. like are on the outside. If you're, you're structuring yourself, mm -hmm. um, what do you reckon certain like one-to-one -one coaches are earning or people that are, you know, well, it's, it's an hourly rate. It yeah. starts at like, it's like 50 pound hour it starts from. But then you can only do what, a few, hours, a few yeah. hours in the evening when kids are off school and then you got, do you have to pay for a facility? Do you have to mm. like, and it's, it's, yeah, there's a cost to everything. The reason that I'm talking about this is because um, the best people, are we getting the best people in academies? Um, is is the money that is in how could academy you? football? How could you? If, no. you're, if you're offering that money, how could you get the best people? Well, some people say Impossible. if you're doing it, even though you're not getting paid loads of money, then you are the people who are passionate about it, who love well, it. Passion is one thing, but the actual quality, mm. you're not going to get it. Mm. Yeah, no one does nothing for free. This isn't me being negative, just me and speaking for myself. Yeah, you're not going to do anything for the love of it. If you support Chelsea and they offer you, you'll do it for the first bit, but then... Are they going to get the most from you? Are the, are you the best person for it? You're not going to be. You, you got I have no desire to ever like work in an academy. Yeah, there's. I left a professional football club to do one on one coaching. One because the opportunities that presented itself, but two, the money, the financial side of things. And there's a pro and a con to it. If players get injured, I don't see them. There's no consistency with the income because it's the player's schedule. But yeah, the money is. I get more money doing individual coaching than I did. Being Not just that, but club. like the the way they insist on certain things, you can't really coach the way you want to coach necessarily. Mm. It might coincide with the way you want to coach, luckily, but generally you have to work within. I, yeah, that, that's it. I do think that's part of the culture that does need to change. That 
oh, there's so much money at the top of the game. Agents earn so much money. Like somehow the the clubs have got to just forget this like, idea that coaches can't be really, really well rewarded and yeah, just give them that money because then like these people can, you know, they can have families. They can like, you know, it can be a really just, like, sought after job. Um, but it's, I've got a rebuttal to that though. Go on. Because so, my thing is like, why should clubs do that? If they're making money and the whole idea is to make money and they're making money, why yeah. should they change the way they And there's a things? demand for coaches. So if I'm yeah. offering a position at 20 pounds an hour and I've got a hundred applicants, why, even though I should be paying 40 pounds an hour, why am I going to when there's a demand at this? Yeah. It's a business. What's the retention like though with coaches? Because you might get them in initially, but... From what, from what I remember at Fulham, it wasn't great from when I was at Fulham, when my son was at Fulham for a period of time, there's a lot of turnover and there's a lot of people obviously trying to get to the top because Stepping stone. Yeah. It's a stepping stone because that's their only job. Going back to the whole thing about oh, homeschooling and teaching to be an entrepreneur and stuff. Yeah, it doesn't matter because it doesn't because you can be in an academy and have a side hustle. That's absolutely fine. Do you know what I mean? But to respond to your rebuttal when you said, why should the clubs do it? They should do it so they get better coaches. Yeah. I'm all for, I'm all for that. This is what, this is what happens in Holland for example. Yeah, I, I'm all for that. I'm just simply saying like, I'm not looking for a handout. If you're not going to give it me, I'm going to get it myself. But anyway, no, no, no. form or fashion. But, but you just you just asked what the club's motivation would be for increasing salaries. That's what it would be to get better people. Yeah, yeah. But they, but they, but they, but at the top of the game, they get the best people because they have the money to do why so. Why is that them sooner? But why but is they that get them when they need them? Why it's is a that the top of system? Because that's where the money is. Yeah. Like from a business point of view, that's where. Oh, yeah. But hold on, Chelsea. Chelsea's uh, model, Man City's model, is based around building young players and then selling them on. Mm -hmm. If you if you were better at building the young players from a younger age, wouldn't you make even more money? Okay, but but let me let me say this right. The world <laughs> has shown us that that is not what businesses are willing to do for the most part, okay? I I'm not so, like, yeah. so with that being said, and I agree with you. I'm saying it should be like that. We just don't live in a world that works that way. So that being said, we can all complain about the things that we don't get I'm not, and that we want. No, I know you're not. No, sorry. I know you're not <laughs> complaining. I'm saying I'm, I'm generalizing because I agree with you. I'm just simply saying that first and foremost, I'm a very like stubborn, hard-headed person because you have to be an, an idiot to believe you're going to be a professional football player. So you have to be an idiot. So I don't accept that you're, you're not going to give me that. I can appreciate that's how you run things. Okay, that's cool. If I, if I intend to be a part of that, then I've, said I'm willing to be a part of that. I can also do that as well. And you're not going to stop me from doing that. Yeah. No, my only point was that is a potential um, motivation for the clubs to to offer higher salaries. I'm not saying even that I'm, I'm saying they should do it, mm. but it is a potential motivation and it is what happens in other countries. They I get, agree. they get better coaches. Sometimes their best coaches are their under eights, under nines coaches. Yeah. Whereas that is never going to happen in England. Mm. No, absolutely not. That would never happen in England. The whole ideology in English culture isn't about resourcefulness because if we're even like, and this is another conversation, but it's like we're used to taking things and making them our own. That is the culture of England, right? We, we see something we like, we take it, we make it our own. We're not innovative. Like England isn't an innovative nation, right? It's, that's a great idea. We'll use that. That's a good idea. We'll take that. And then we'll throw a ton of money at it and we'll make it bigger. But we're not innovators. So again, it goes back to changing the culture, innit? Do you think we've changed the culture with our episode today? Influenced it slightly? Hopefully. <laughs> Hope so. 1%. Enjoy the conversation? Yeah. Of course. I genuinely, and I said it, first time I done 
the podcast with you that this is the best tool for grassroots and academy parents to get an insight into the journey that they're going to go on and their child's going to go on. And I, I feel with every episode, you're getting experiences from professional, ex-professional, from mm. parents, like it's from dads, from mums, from coaches. And it's, yeah, honest, I feel it's, yeah, this there's more needed. No, I appreciate that. And yeah, thank you obviously for being on the episode. Appreciate it, guys. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And um, if you could do a huge favour and subscribe to our YouTube channel, that will help us massively. At the moment, We Make Footballers are sponsoring the, every episode. Um, we are actually looking for more sponsorship um, and the more YouTube subscribers that we get, the easier that will be for us. But yeah, thank you for all your messages. Um, you know, I hope this is helping you. Um, and yeah, we just keep working hard, like having these conversations and bringing in guests that we think will, you know, improve um, things in football in England.